Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening our eyes to a new view of life. I'm glad you joined us today. You know, each day we live, we have a series of choices of where to spend our time, what to think, and how to go about our day. And some people choose to fill the gaps in their day with worthwhile things like uplifting podcasts. This podcast is born from a deep desire to help us all live a happier life and the firm belief that a powerful way to make that happen is to open our eyes to new ways of seeing life. So hopefully today, in this time together, we'll get a new perspective of how to think and live better. And if you like this podcast, be sure to share it with a friend. It just might be what they need in their life today. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about this. Maybe you should talk to someone. If you've likely used or heard the term eagle eye, it's no wonder because the eagle has the best eyesight in the animal kingdom. It's crazy how good an eagle's eyes really are. Although an eagle may only weigh 10 pounds, its eyes are roughly the same size as those of a human. That means an eagle's eyesight is 15 times bigger proportionately than ours. And eagle's eyes weigh more than their brains. What this does is allows eagles to see color with significantly enhanced resolution and allow them to see distinct colors, hidden shapes, and even fish underwater. Now, if you had an eagle's vision, you could see an ant crawling on the ground if you were standing atop a 10-story building, and you would likely see the world differently. It would be filled with brilliant colors. And I wonder if we will ever see the world like an eagle sees the world. We all know that a dog's sense of smell is the most powerful sense. It's so sensitive that dogs can detect the equivalent of a half a teaspoon of sugar in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. They possess up to 300 million olfactory receptors in their noses, compared to about 6 million for us. That means they smell 50 times better than we do. If a dog was several football fields away from the stew you've made, the dog could not only smell the stew, but each individual ingredient inside the stew. That part of a dog's brain that is devoted to analyzing smell is about 40 times greater than ours. Dogs' noses also function quite differently than ours. When we inhale, we smell and breathe through the same airways. When a dog inhales, a fold of tissue just inside their nostril helps to separate these two functions. This allows the air to swirl inside the dog's nose and helps usher orders around. More importantly, it allows dogs to sniff continuously. Now, wouldn't it be incredible to have a dog's sense of smell? You know, the fastest land animal in the world is the cheetah. can accelerate from 0 to 60 miles per hour in 3 seconds. That's just slightly slower than a high-end Porsche 911. Just think if we could run as fast. You could literally run to the store. You wouldn't need the car. And whether it's eyesight or speed or other talents, it seems God has given his creatures different abilities to help them in their survival. And I've often wondered what crazy scientists were at work in heaven when they created some of nature's strangest animals, such as the armadillo, the octopus, platypus, and warthog. The warthog has a huge, odd-shaped head with strange elements protruding all over. It's full of warts. It has two sets of tusks. 
one coming out the side of a long snout and the other set coming out from the lower jaw. These tusks are razor sharp. That's why most predators never mess with a warthog. One of those tusks can kill or maim a lion. Well, not so long ago, Texas Monthly told a story about a boy and a warthog that is captivating. By the age of 30, Austin Riley had already conquered his fear of death. He'd come exceedingly close to dying on many occasions, including a few months before his first birthday, when doctors discovered a golf ball-sized tumor growing inside of his infant skull. He would go on to spend much of his childhood in and out of hospitals, enduring brain surgeries and grueling recoveries. Then, in his mid-twenties, he was nearly killed by a brain hemorrhage that came one night without warning, unleashing the worst pain he'd ever felt. He emerged from that experience reborn, feeling lucky to be alive and convinced that his life had been spared by God. Animals had always been a part of Austin's life, or as long as he could remember. While other kids had dogs and cats, Austin had a pet ostrich, a white-tailed deer, hogs, and many other animals around the ranch. But there was one animal that Austin poured more of himself into than any other, the warthog Waylon. The piglet's mother had died in labor, but Austin immediately assumed her place, cradling the hamster-sized infant in one hand and a bottle of milk in the other. He moved the animal into his parents' home, creating a makeshift nursery out of a plastic container, hay, and baby blankets. Eventually, as the weather outside warmed, Austin built the warthog a small wooden house beside his parents' home, where the pig was able to spend his days gaining strength and roughhousing with the family's bulldog. Austin decided to name the rambunctious warthog as an homage to another unruly figure, outlaw country legend, Waylon Jennings. Waylon enjoyed following Austin around the family ranch and falling asleep on his chest after feedings. He loved red apples, rough belly scratches, and a tender massage on his hardened bony snout. Before long, the pig and the boy were inseparable. Waylon soon grew to be 250 pounds of pure protein as Austin likes to say, more than an average NFL-sized linebacker. By then, Austin had moved him to a large pen a few hundred yards away from the family home. On particularly beautiful days, he liked to lie on the ground in the enclosure, listening to sports radio, and watching the clouds pass by. Inevitably, Waylon would lie down beside him, gingerly resting his enormous wart-covered head on Austin's thigh. They could remain that way for several hours at a time. Well, on that fateful October night, Waylon greeted Austin at the front gate to his pen, happily accepted some back scratches, and trotted beside him as the two walked to a nearby feeding trough. About 20 minutes after he arrived, Austin had just finished feeding Daisy, a pot-bellied pig he'd owned since she was a piglet, in an adjacent pen. He re-entered the warthog enclosure and was walking towards his all-terrain vehicle, parked at the entrance of the pen. Suddenly, his right leg crumpled behind him, and he found himself tumbling forward, landing some 15 feet away. As he gathered his bearings, Waylon's bulky gray head emerged from a swirling cloud of dust near his feet. Before Austin could stand up and run, Waylon thrust his face between the rancher's lower legs and began violently swinging his tusks back and forth. One tusk stabbed Austin twice in the right calf, another once in the left calf. Before Austin could fight back, Waylon had hooked his owner four more times in the upper left leg and genitals. Several more stab runes to his upper right leg followed in rapid succession. Austin attempted 
to gouge out the warthog's eyes, but he was blocked by his bony facial armor. Instinctively, Austin grabbed onto Wayland's tusk, but this sliced opened his wrist. After three more gashes to his abdomen, Austin attempted to put Wayland in a headlock, but the animal jerked upward, plunging his tusk into Austin's voice box, leaving a quarter-sized hole in his neck, from which a piece of an artery dangled like a grisly necklace. So Austin played dead while the warthog trotted away. Then he escaped the enclosure only to realize his phone was still inside and he had to go back to rescue his phone and call for help. Well, Austin would survive barely thanks to many miracles and good doctors. And since he's worked tirelessly to come to terms with the attack by his friend. And after hearing this story, you have to realize that the warthog has been equipped with exactly what is needed for it to survive in the wild. Razor-sharp tusks and a disposition to defend its turf is exactly what it needs when dealing with hyenas and dogs and lions. It's been given exactly what it needs to survive, but it was not designed to function in a pen like a pot-bellied pig. And you and I are similar. We've been given certain capabilities and talents that are unique to us as well. And we are intended to evolve and grow in the sphere in which God has placed us. In fact, you are nature's and God's greatest creation. Within you are immense capabilities. Your brain is incredibly intricate. Your nervous system advanced. Your ability to feel, relate, understand, and develop is beyond any other creature on earth. And one of the unique gifts that you have is your voice. You can talk in extremely complex ways, something no other animal can do. You can make sounds that call others, make others cry, inspire people to action, soothe, calm, comfort, agitate, uplift, and so many other things. And the truth is, your voice has been given to you for a reason, to help you navigate and improve your life. And I believe that we have been given this gift so we can connect with each other, to influence each other. In other words, we were designed to connect. This is our gift, like a dog's sense of smell or a warthog's tusks and disposition. We get a voice and a brain system designed to connect with people. But do you and I seek to improve this gift, to make the most of it, to become skilled at using our voice? For example, to talk to other people. Are you a person who's apt to seek out others, to talk to someone who's a stranger? And are you good at this very important part of your life? You know, maybe you and I should talk to someone and do it more often. Imagine how your life would have been different thus far if you were exceptional at meeting people, extending relationships, purposefully growing your circle of influence and connecting with other people. Would you have met different people? Would your circle of friends be expanded? Would you have a different career as a result? Would you live in a different location? Would your interests be different? Yes, for all of us, it's very likely. So you can see that who we talk to, how well we communicate, can and does change our life in many ways. So if you and I are going to talk to someone, if we're going to become better at talking to people, then how do we do that? Even if you're old like me, some of these skills can really bless you even at this stage of your life. This isn't a topic for young people only. So 
if you were doing a training on how to talk to someone and use your connection system better, what would be the major categories of focus in your training? Well, for me, those focus areas would be confidence, authenticity, and adapting to your audience as you talk. But maybe before you introduce these things, you have to talk about something very important. It's an understanding of social anxiety. Now, there isn't a person alive who hasn't felt anxiety in certain situations around people. We worry sometimes, don't we? What we should say, and the conversation may seem awkward, and you wonder, is it me? Or what does this person think of me? Or why did I say that? And how many times have you walked away from a conversation anxious that you said something wrong, didn't say anything at all, or avoided someone because you couldn't talk to them? Well, this is where confidence plays a huge role in our ability to talk to and connect to others. And what most people try to do is script themselves or put on a new face rather than genuinely build upon what is already good about themselves. It's been said When you are content to simply be yourself and don't compare or compete, everyone will respect you. In a fascinating study published just over a year ago, researchers did a meta-analysis of hundreds of studies and showed that people with high self-esteem perform better in school and at work. But that's not all the researchers discovered. They found that self-esteem led to better social relationships, improved physical and mental health, and less antisocial behavior. And in the context of this study, self-esteem refers to self-acceptance and self-respect. So could it be that with greater self-acceptance and self-respect, we have better social relationships? Could it be that we talk to people and have more influence when we accept and respect who we are? For example, Recently, my wife has been asked to teach some classes in a rather intimidating setting to people who likely know more than her on a topic that she'll be presenting. And she's nervous. She spent a few days really anxious about it. She kept thinking about how stupid she'll feel if she says the wrong thing or doesn't know as much as the audience. And she kept asking me, how can I do this? But then after a few days, she said something interesting to me. She said, you know, I'm really good with people. And I can talk to anyone one-on-one, and I'm a good listener. And people tell me when they talk to me, they feel validated. I am engaging. So I'm just going to bring these skills to my teaching, and I'm not going to worry about being the smartest in the room. I'm just going to be myself. And you know what? That was the perfect answer to her question. Just be the best version of herself. So to improve the way you talk to others, lean into who you are. You may have friends that are funny. That's great. Learn a few things, but don't be them. You may have friends that love to talk and are animated. That's great. Learn a few things, but don't be them. You don't have to have the best stories or be the smartest. Your confidence in communicating can come from just being the best version of yourself. So next time you're at a networking event or a social gathering or even with your family, practice being authentically you. If you don't know what is authentically you, then ask someone you trust. Get feedback. For example, I have a good friend who's excellent at talking to people. Now, she's quieter, and some people may even call her shy. But she's so kind, so good inside, that when she engages with people, they're drawn to her. 
She talks with goodness. She listens. She's positive and encouraging. And as a result, people want to be around her. People seek her attention. But she's far from the life of the party. But she has tremendous confidence in herself and in who she is. People who have confidence in themselves have written down or at least identified their good qualities. And they return to the memory of these qualities often. And as you list these positive things about yourself, include the feedback that you've received from trusted people. When you feel that dark cloud of self-doubt casting its shadow over you and you're anxious, look at the positive things you wrote about yourself and return to the good that exists in you. This positive inner dialogue is an essential aspect of building good self-esteem. If you find yourself doubting or telling yourself that you're not good enough, gently remind yourself of these reasons, these qualities that make you a capable person. Remember, confidence comes from the realization that you don't need to be perfect or everything to everyone. Just be the very best version of you. Next, when approaching others or talking to someone, just be authentic. Authenticity will win every time. Fake approaches and scripted ways of talking will rarely win. Someone once said that authenticity is letting go of what you think others want you to be and embracing who you are. You know, in a world inundated with filters and masks and facades, authenticity has become a rare commodity. Authenticity is about stripping away the layers of pretense and presenting ourselves as we truly are, you know, vulnerabilities and all. Authenticity breeds trust and fosters genuine connections and paves the way for meaningful relationships. When we communicate authentically, we speak from the heart. We express our thoughts and feelings openly without fear of judgment or rejection. And this level of openness invites reciprocity. It encourages others to also let down their guard and share their authentic selves as well. And in a world where social media often promotes a curated version of reality, authenticity really does stand out. It is about embracing our imperfections and celebrating our uniqueness. And authentic communication isn't about striving for perfection. It's about embracing our own humanity and being willing to be a little messy or imperfect. But you know what? We don't become authentic overnight. Let's say you're building a business and you want to be more effective in the way you connect with others when you first meet them. Then lean in to authenticity. Seek to genuinely understand who they are, where they're coming from, and how you can help them. Then be authentic in that thing. Too often in business, people are trying to introduce and sell when they should be sharing and seeking to help. If they just sought to authentically help others, their business would likely thrive and prosper. Let's say you're leading a family and you want to be more authentic in connecting with your children. Well, of course, we should listen and share our own thoughts and help them see the good in themselves and help them lean into who they are, but genuinely, authentically express who we are. And this may cause them to feel safe in doing the same with you. Now, my father was not the type of father who threw the football with his sons or played basketball outside at night with me or my brothers. Sometimes I wish he had. Sometimes I wish I had had a father like this, but it wasn't how he was raised. And he didn't know how to do this. But he was a genuinely good and noble man. 
He was loyal and cared for me. And his example, what he was authentically good at, how he talked to me, what he shared about himself, got through to me and carried me through difficult times in my life. So he didn't have to be everything. He just had to be authentically him. Remember that authenticity is a journey, and it's okay to take small steps towards becoming more authentic over time. And I found that it takes practice to let your true self shine. You know, one author wrote, we live in a culture that is starving for authenticity. We want our leaders, our coworkers, our family members, and our friends, and everyone else we interact with to be themselves. More importantly, we want to have the personal freedom and confidence to say and do and be who we really are without worrying so much about how we appear to others and what they might think or say about us. Sadly, however, it's not that easy. Many of us assume that who we are is just not good enough, and therefore we're constantly trying to fix ourselves or act like others who we think are better than us. However, as author and poet Oscar Wilde so brilliantly stated, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. And while most of us aren't fake, we have been trained to be appropriate and to say and do the right thing so we can look as good as possible in most situations. Some people have a story about themselves they want others to believe, and therefore they only feel comfortable sharing thoughts, ideas, and feelings that match that story or the public identity they want to put forth. However, what if, even with whatever fear or resistance we have, we were able to fully express ourselves in a way that shows who we are? This is what it means to be authentic. In your business, yes. It's bold to step out of your comfort zone and approach someone or schedule an appointment, but it's also bold to not put on any pretense and to be forthright and open. When you do this, you're more believable. You know, I had a neighbor in my neighborhood years ago, and he was a really nice guy. Our kids were about the same age. One day he called me and asked me if he could grab a few minutes of my time, and I said, sure. He came at the time we agreed, and there was another person with him. And they came in and started asking me questions about my job and other things. And finally, after a while, I could tell he was selling something. I asked what he was up to, and he gave me what seemed to be a scripted answer. Didn't sound anything like him. And the more I asked, the more scripted responses he gave. Finally, I felt this distance between us. And out of frustration, I asked, what are you selling, Amway? Well, of course he was. And I politely told him I wasn't interested. Now, here's the truth. I liked him. He was a good guy. And if he had shown up and just been himself, if he had told me he was trying to earn a little extra money and he was trying this Amway thing, I likely would have at least listened and probably helped him out. But because he was so far from the guy I knew and he wasn't authentic, it was easy for me to say no. Here's an example on the positive side of things. One Saturday, I had a few hours in the middle of the day to paint my house. I was up painting the eaves of my house, so I was on top of a ladder with a paint can using a paintbrush to paint the eaves. It was hot, I was sweating, and was focused on the job at hand. As I was painting on top of the ladder, I saw a man walking from house to house in our neighborhood. He didn't look like a salesman, and I wondered what he was doing. Soon I saw him walking towards our house. He walked up to the bottom of the ladder, looked up at me, and asked me to step down so he could talk to me. Well, at first I thought that was a little bold, but 
I complied. He greeted me warmly and told me he was the pastor of the church next to our neighborhood. He was just normal. No pretense. He was genuine. He asked me if I could gather my family so he could give us a quick message. And I told him I had small children. Who knows how long they would gather, but we stepped inside the house. He asked us a few questions and then gave us a message from the Bible, then invited us to attend his church. At the time, I remember asking myself, why didn't I take offense at this? He had interrupted my work. It was inconvenient to get our children in the room on a Saturday, but I didn't mind. He was a minister, and it was his job to do what he was doing, but he used no scripted language. He was just comfortably himself. And as a result, I wanted to get to know him better. And our kids ended up attending his preschool. Here's my point. When you talk to people, even if it is as uncomfortable as inviting people to come to your church, even if it inconveniences them, if you are sincere, they won't take offense. Be authentic. Next, to truly connect, we have to be able to read social cues. Sometimes the situation or circumstances aren't right. As the famous saying goes, starting a conversation is like starting a fire. You need to create the right conditions for it to catch. Of course, we need to be able to read other people. Someone who's open for conversation will likely have more of a relaxed look on their face. More than likely, this person will be looking around or paying attention to what other people are doing. They won't be avoiding eye contact. If the person is not open to conversation, they might be frowning and most likely intentionally avoiding eye contact. For example, looking away or looking down at their phone. So paying attention to social cues, as you know, is important. You know, years ago, I was traveling. I'd been in Australia for several weeks doing trainings in a number of cities. At the end of my travels, I was exhausted. I didn't want to talk to another person. I just wanted to get on the plane and sleep and be myself. Well, the plane boarded in Sydney. And when I sat down in my seat, the person next to me started a conversation. I didn't want to talk. I gave her every social cue I could. I looked away, fished in my bag. I finally opened a magazine and turned away from her, but she kept talking and asking me questions. And this continued for an hour. I thought to myself, can't this person read the signals that I'm sending? Well, the plane stopped in Auckland, New Zealand. We had to deplane and board again. And as I was waiting to board, the actress, Lily Tomlin, came up to me and asked if the line we were in was for our flight and told me the flight number. I told her it was. She then asked me another question or two, and we talked for a brief moment. I was starstruck that we were talking. When we got on the plane, it just so happened that we were seated next to each other. When Lily sat down, I continued our conversation. Soon, as I talked, she looked away. She started ruffling through her bag. And as I continued, she opened a magazine and turned away from me to read it. And finally, I realized it was me that couldn't read the social cues that she didn't want to talk. Well, we all have a hard time, don't we, from time to time, properly reading the social cues. But if we can read those social clues effectively, we can know who to talk to at the right time. Last, perhaps the most important thing to remember when talking with someone is this. Choose to have a conversation with people rather than talking to people. Be interested before you're interesting. Follow their lead in a conversation. Engage with them. Set your own agenda aside for a while and focus on genuinely connecting. 
This ability to connect through conversation is what God gave us as humans as a gift to bless our life. Let's you and I see if we can't magnify this gift and change our business, our life, and our opportunities. So this week, when the impression comes to strike up a conversation with someone you see, maybe you should talk to them. And when you do, put your very best confidence, authenticity, and awareness to work. And watch. You will create friends, connections, and bring great blessings to your life as a result. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become. Oh,